0: Southern skies. Online media. This episode of Plane Crazy Down Under is proudly sponsored by Aviation Advertiser, Australia's largest aviation online marketplace. Now featuring aviation employment classifieds. Make buying, selling and job search easy by doing it online. Visit aviationadvertiser.com.au today. And by the GA8 Airvan, proudly manufactured right here in Australia by Gips Aero. GipsAero.com and by jet ride australia be a top gun for the day visit jetride.com.au/pcdu for the fastest ride in the country and by aircraft sales and imports the strong aussie dollar means there's never been a better time to import an aircraft www.aircraftimports.com.au Well, g'day, folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 74 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. I'm Steve Vischer, and joining me as always is Grant McHeron. G'day, mate. Hey, mate. How you going? Not too bad. Settling down here and uh, just finished another day of work and slaving away there on the trains, and uh, here we are. It's freezing cold on a Melbourne night, and uh, we're going to get stuck into some more podcasting.
1: Sounds good. Yeah, we we got to talk about the slaving away on the trains, mate. <laughs> That's almost an oxymoron, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I'll say it before you do. I mean, you know, it's those of who have been up since before, all dark 30, and are still going. (laughs) Oh dear, oh dear.
0: And uh, joining us also for this episode from New Zealand, our Kiwi correspondent, our expert on all things Kiwi, we hope, is Dan Morris. G'day, Dan. Good evening.
2: How are we doing?
0: Very good, mate, and welcome back to the show. It's been quite a while since we had you on. Uh, I guess we should ask you, before we go too much into it, You know, about a week or so after we released the last episode that you were in, uh, New Zealand was struck with those uh, disastrous earthquakes, and uh, I know they've had quite a few since. How's things going over there in that regard? Oh,
2: it seems to be settling down a bit, although today there were... I think they had three aftershocks in Christchurch. Um, they had a, well, a four, followed by a 4.7, followed by a three-point something. So it's still no. happening, but uh, at least I've uh, 6.3s and um, you know, 7.1s.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's that logarithmic well, scale.
2: It is, yeah. But uh, yeah, as well as, uh, well as earthquakes, there's been uh, two weeks ago we had uh, snow, <laughs> about three yes. of snow here in Palmerston North. They had snow in Auckland, which is unheard of. Must be all
0: that global um, warming, mate.
2: That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's uh, it's great waking up in the morning and uh, seeing about three inches of snow out on top of the car. Yeah. Something you don't see very often.
1: I uh, believe they call it climate change. Just ask the Americans change. with their uh, hurricane.
2: Yeah,
0: I'm pretty sure. That, I'm pretty sure the climate did change that day. That's for sure. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we're not here to talk about that. that. Uh, coming up in this episode of Playing Crazy Down Under, we're going to be, of course, uh, chatting to Dan about uh, all things New Zealand. There's been a lot of interesting news going on over there in uh, Kiwi land, and we haven't caught up with Dan for a while, so we need to know what's going on over there. Uh, a bit later in the show, uh, I'm actually going back to school, guys. I um, recently went back to my old high school, and uh, they're doing some uh, some really cool things there with regard to uh, an aviation program that they've started up. So uh, we're going to go there. It's a little bit weird going back there, I must tell you. And uh, after that, we're going to be talking to Mark Pracy from uh, our wonderful. Sponsors of Pracy Racing. He's going to bring us up to date with uh, preparations for his upcoming assault on the Reno Air Races. Dan, I, I should ask you. I don't know whether you saw much activity aviation-wise, but with the rescue and the recovery efforts going on over there uh, around the earthquakes, you know, was there much increased activity in, in your part of New Zealand?
2: Not so much my part, but we were were affected by the lack of. Basically, the lack of um, any slack in the air traffic control system, it's all based in Christchurch, the radar. So they're all local Cantabrians and they're all affected and, and stressed. So in terms of getting IFR training slots, it was on impossible, same with getting controlled VFR. So it has affected our training uh, that way.
1: It's a very good lesson, actually, about uh, as, as we go through centralization of air traffic control around the world. Uh, I know the Americans are getting right into this. The Aussies have uh, two major centres. The Kiwis went for one, and it's been a classic example of don't put all your eggs in one basket, hasn't it?
2: Exactly, and the ironic thing was originally they thought the Manama 2 district, which is where mm-hmm. the authors would be ideal, but the seismic risk was too high. <laughs> and uh, yeah, irony being what it is, um, they put it in Christchurch <laughs> where seismic risk was low and we want to know what happened there.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because uh, I know I felt way more earthquakes when I was living in Wellington than I did when I was in Palmerston North.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, there's, there's rumours going around that airways are looking for a uh, another site. Potentially it could be here, it could be Palmerston. Oh, I don't think I hark here. It used to be at Ohakia control used to be based at Ohakia at the Air Force Base. Yeah. that that um, area's sort of since been taken over by um, other operations here. So,
1: wouldn't do it up at Auckland.
2: Well, they in Auckland they have Oceanic, uh, yeah. and they do have a couple of radar consoles there, or at least they did when I visited there a few years ago. So, for what I've been told, they're able to run pretty much New Zealand airspace from Ohakia Tower, uh, <laughs> which is staffed twenty four hours. They can fire up the portable control tower, which yep. lives at Palmerston, And they can also fire up, you know, some radar consoles and um, control towers around the place. So, yeah. So I think there is a, a, a plan if um, the worst possible happens, but, um, you know, they, yeah. they did cope. Um so, and so the, after it, the initial big earthquake, I think it was 19 minutes, and they were back online, obviously a bit uh, bit more shaken up than we were before. And you could, you could tell in their voices as well that they were very stressed.
1: And yeah. there, there were times they were on air, and they'd be like, oh, hang on, another aftershock.
2: Exactly, yeah. They'd say, well, yeah, just be prepared to go Tiber just in case we've got to evacuate again. And, it had and t-
1: Tiber is?
2: Traffic information broadcast by aircraft, and it's in the AIP. And basically, yep. the local control towers take over the surrounding airspace and uh, pretty much, you know, let the planes down. So,
0: so Dan, this this um, this this new facility you're talking about is that going to be a, a secondary facility as an alternate, or is it a, just a completely new facility that's going to take over everything if they build it?
2: I understand they'll be looking at another site as a standby site, or you know, in case this happened again. So um, apparently this part of the world, Manor 2, is is where they're um, keen to locate it. But, again, that's all just rumour stuff I've heard. Actually, what they oh. need
0: is a a giant airship that can hover over the top constantly, and that way,
2: you know, you'd always be in business then. Yeah, some sort of mothership, you know, to do it perfectly. Yeah, that'll work.
1: Because I mean, let's face it, Manawatu. If it's not getting an earthquake, it's uh, all the all the low cloud being funneled through the gorge.
2: Exactly, our, our, our very own uh, Venturi. Yeah. <laughs> That's the
1: one. The Manawatu, There's this place called the Manawatu Gorge that sits uh, just to the east of Palmerston North, mm. and uh, exactly as Dan just said, it funnels all the weather straight through, coming off the Tasman, and uh, instantly creates clouds. Which is, of course, why there is an observatory there.
2: Yeah, and. Uh- as we're taught in, in, in CPL Met, the, the three windiest places are in New Zealand, the Manitou Gorge, the Cook Strait and FOMO Strait. And I can concur, they are. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: the, the uh, Apparently the calmest weather ever experienced in Cook Strait was when the USS Enterprise came to visit in the uh, 60s or 70s area and they anchored it upwind and the Cook Strait ferries said it was the calmest it had ever been.
2: Yeah, we'll be right.
0: All right, guys, so let's press on with some more New Zealand news. Now, uh, the first one you got on your list here, Dan, is actually something we were talking about over at Oshkosh it's got to do with the uh, Civil Aviation Authority there removing funding for the Weather Briefing Service. Is that right?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Um, the CAA used to provide, um, through well, the Met Service used to provide Met Flight, which was for general aviation, and it was free for anyone who um, held a, a licence, and uh, it's all very good, quite good weather uh, information, but um, they decided last year, I think it was, that uh, end of June this year uh, they would withdraw their funding. So it becomes a subscription service, I think they were talking about just under a hundred dollars a year for a um, correct a subscription. Yeah, so I mean we are now the only you know first world country in the world where everything is completely user pay. So whether you have to pay for flight plans, you have to pay for. Strolled airspace have to pay for it. Everything's got a, a cost to it now.
0: I really hope that our uh, American listeners are taking note of this, particularly those of you who are pilots, because uh, this is what happens when user fees come in. I mean, this is this is just outrageous. What, what's the uh, reaction yeah. been amongst pilots over there, Dan?
2: Most commercial pilots who, you know, work as a flight instructor or, at a, you know, in an airline environment, they have access to uh, the commercial uh, version of MetFlight. Which has a bit more information to it. Uh, certainly, where I work, we have um, you know paid subscription and a certain amount of licenses, so we can get the uh, weather when we want and from where we want. But you know, someone who maybe flies 60, 70 hours a year, you know, weekend warrior sort of thing, you know, won't be able to justify paying a hundred bucks for a subscription. Yep. And you know, what's he going to do? Is he going to is he going to go flying without the weather? you know, or just looking at the, the weather forecast from the news the night before.
1: Well, that's just it. There's been a lot of reports coming out in New Zealand from guys who are saying, well, I'm just going to use what's publicly available. And a lot of the guys are going, so to speak, underground. And uh, the result is that uh, you're getting these uh, reductions in the number of people who are actually paying. And the people who are providing the service are already saying, well, if this keeps up, we're going to have to raise the rates. Because there's okay. not enough people using it. Hello, talk about you ever downward spiral. They'll raise the rates. More people will drop out. Damn, we've got to raise the rates. More people will drop out. The only well, ones the you can afford is, are the commercials.
2: There was, you know, just a tad over ninety five thousand a year to um to keep the service running, and um mm. you know,
1: chicken feed. <laughs> it's chicken absolutely.
2: feed. Absolutely, but you know they're still funding uh, traffic lights and uh, you know, maritime yeah. safety, that kind of thing. So I mean, we can well,
1: draw the line. Well, there was there was one person I heard of who said, hey. You know, what's the cost for uh, for sending out the search and rescue guys? You're going to be – you're dropping $100 a year, but that's the kind of information that could prevent you needing to do a call-out. Well, by that same logic, the government should continue to fund it because if everyone's got access to good weather information, then hello – there's a very high chance that they won't have to call them out. That'll save them money on those expensive search and rescue calls they have to keep doing. It's, Absolutely. it's just yeah. bloody ridiculous. And I've actually started to see it happening over here in Australia as well. I used to be able to get on to a few websites and be able to get all sorts of weather information for free. That's not happening anymore. You've got to go through the bom.gov.au slash aviation for the Bureau of Meteorology here. And uh, now it's all being channeled into one aviation area. You can't just Go to Air Services and say, "Give me the information and get all your uh, your TAFs, METAs and uh, and NOTAMS in one hit." Now suddenly you've got to go and you've got to log in, so it takes another couple of steps that I've got to do on my smartphone. It's no longer cached on the browser, and I'm starting to think, "Well, hang on." I key in and I log in via my ARN or, and. I've, I've associated that with a username. Well, guess what? How many steps is that from actually now getting me to pay an annual fee for that username? It's currently free, but I'm only one step away from them charging me now. And I think it's about to hit here in Australia, the home of user fees.
2: It wouldn't surprise me. Um, you know, it's now at the point where the um, airways Corporation, who, who provide uh, air traffic control in New Zealand... Uh, only provide um, ATIS, uh, SIGMET and, and NOTAM information. Um, yeah. They have access to the automatic weather stations at most of the aerodromes that have them and they can get you a, a auto-meta, but uh, no TAFs or uh, anything like that. Yeah. Whereas, you know, you go back five years, you could call up information or, or whatever and you could get a TAF that faxed you weather. Um, now, there was a toll-free number for flight planning. It used to be 0800 NBO PLN. But now that's gone to a... 0900 number
1: ah, pay per call
2: absolutely and most um, cell phone plans in New Zealand don't have 0900 um, numbers you know yeah, they're blocked um, available yeah on most plans so
1: because most of those O nine hundreds are like 1900 in most other places and they're usually naughty
2: exactly yeah
1: so, <laughs> and yeah well, I
2: don't
0: think there's some obvious um, safety concerns that come out of this I mean is this I would think is going to lead to a reduction in um, safe practices when you when you for people planning cross country flights. Some people are going to take the attitude, well, you know, screw it, I'm not going to pay for that, and uh, you know, just go up without anybody knowing what they're doing, and, and worse, going up without getting a proper weather briefing, which uh, you know, particularly in your part of the world, I guess, is is something that's really critical.
2: Well, it is. I mean. The weather can change uh, quite dramatically in a, in a short period of time over here. A bit of common knowledge, you know, is, is all good, but still you need to have that, um, you know, that professionally crafted forecast um, to know, you know, what's going to be happening. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, the synoptic do chart at up- night. <laughs> That's not enough.
2: Exactly. So, I mean, we're just seeing a, a, a reduction in service um both from the CAA and Airways Corp, and it's you know getting to the point where you think, well, is Airways really interested in VFR at all yeah. or training? And it's look, it's looking like they're not. Um,
1: A safe Airways is one that has no aircraft, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah, and um, you know, are they just there to service the airlines? Maybe yeah, there are. But
1: um, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's that's like the joke in the US. The FAA stands for Federal Airline Association.
2: You know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Well, CA is uh, campaign against aviation.
1: I reckon, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do
0: they have any sort of, um, uh, you know, alphabet type of groups over there? Like, do they have an AOPA in New Zealand or anything similar that might yeah. yeah We've got
2: them? that. Yeah, all the lobby groups like that. We've got the Aviation Industry Association, um, Alpha Alpha, you know, airline pilots' association. They're more interested in um, you know airline pilot, um, yeah, in terms and conditions, you know, you know, pay that kind of stuff. But um, they represent uh, a lot of flight instructors. In New Zealand as well, through the various flying schools. So that has a direct effect on on our livelihood as well and safety. But um, where, where I work, we're no longer filing VFR flight plans with Airways Corporation. We're just relying on you know, our own flight following using spider tracks, which is... Um, yeah. Local company of ours. Yes, yes.
1: Um, no one recommend them. And, absolutely. Uh, hmm. It's like, and this is the thing: is uh, the Americans complain when they can't get flight following? We haven't had it for ages. You guys haven't had it for ages because yeah. it's all been priced out. It's almost impossible to get. I mean, I remember flying with friends back in the uh, 80s and early 90s and all that. It was we used to joke about no SAR, no brains, as in you'd go flying without a search and rescue plan, and, and that was considered you know no SAR, no brains. Hey, you're crazy if you do that, but ah, uh, you do it anyhow. But now it's the norm. Yeah, no so no details.
2: Yeah. Well, you're paying $6.50 plus GST for a VFR flight plan filed yep. on, on the internet.
1: And yet you're still paying the same you – know, like while we're in the States, we're telling people that you know, you're paying roughly the same amount per gallon in fuel, except you're really I think we're paying more per gallon than the Yanks are in fuel over here when you do the final sums. And then you've got all these fees on top,
2: and that's what you've got. Yeah, I think we're paying about $1.80 a litre. So, a ref guess at the moment? That's $1.80 Kiwi. Yeah. Exactly. So, that's about. Well, the Kiwi peso, was well, quite high against the Bancigree uh, back at the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to yeah. stress before we move on to the next subject, once again, to our American listeners, um, you know, you really want to uh, really get stuck into your politicians and make sure this doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, I'd really recommend that you get across to uh, Rob Mark's site, Jetwine.com, and uh, he's got some links there that can uh, point you in the right direction in that regard, because this is what happens. And uh, the battle is certainly lost on this side of the world.
1: Yeah, we're stuffed. Don't let it happen to you. Absolutely.
0: All right, Dan, let's move yeah, on to been- the next subject you've got here in the list, which is the uh, Air New Zealand Aviation
2: Academy. Yeah, that was uh, announced a couple of months ago. And um, they've, they've set up a local school of flight, which um, they provide, um, you know, type rating training for external airlines and uh, first officer training and airline integration courses. Um, a lot of the details haven't come out yet properly, but they've selected five flying schools in New Zealand as uh, what they call preferred providers there's three in the north island and two in the south and they are to provide i guess long term uh, a flow of uh, flight crew to new zealand Uh, from what i understand it's still going to work in the traditional manner where you you know do your cpl do your multi-instrument rating do an instructor rating perhaps if you're lucky maybe i don't know get a job flying a light twin somewhere although most likely new zealand will end up uh, being a flight instructor and getting your multi hours that way, and then when you meet the uh, requirements, uh, you well, if you'd been tagged by Air New Zealand, uh, you'd be given the priority um, hiring within the Air New Zealand group. Again, details aren't out completely. I think they're talking about January. 2012 for the first sort of intake.
0: Just having a look on their uh, website here, they're offering all sorts of ratings and courses, including an A320 type rating, 767 type rating, 747-400 type rating, and uh, various uh, iterations of the 737, and there's sim training and all sorts of stuff. So uh, sounds very involved over there.
2: Yeah, it does. Um, They're quite an interesting move by them. I think it's going to be, as far as these these graduates, um, they'll go through the standard intake selection that the various flying schools are going through. Uh, which will have to meet certain requirements for Air new Zealand as well and just as they progress uh, get towards the end of their um, their training i believe there's going to be like a, a, a national diploma set up uh, so there'll be certain academic you know requirements for that and, and flight standards as well once they've met those requirements uh they'll qualify for a uh, an interview with the Air new Zealand group and then if they uh, do well on that uh, they'll they'll have that tag Their name will be tagged in the in, in the pool there and um, when they're ready, uh, or if there's a demand, um, they will be given a position within in New Zealand.
1: Now, uh, I know some of the uh, flight training academies and so on have uh, picked up a bit of, uh, well, you might say, undercurrent of people who uh, they, they go in, they start doing their training and all that, and then they come out the other side, and they may not have passed everything, or they may not have come up to st- scratch. But you've still got to pay it all off, and you don't have this job now.
2: Absolutely. Is
1: that is that a risk with this one?
2: I, I guess so. Again, you know, a lot of the um, finer details haven't been released yet, so I'm not able to comment yeah. too much on that because I don't know really what's going on. But um, you know, typical New Zealand, we're uh, we've got far too many pilots. You know, if you if you need a pilot, just need to shake the nearest tree and we'll have about six <laughs> full out. Uh-huh. <laughs> So, I mean, it's, it's created a bit of talk amongst pilots. You know, is this going to be the new way to get into Air New Zealand? We've been assured that no, the standard way of going out and, you know, instructing for 2,000 hours and slaving away in GA or flying a, you know, 35 year old Piper Aztec across the Cook Strait at three in the morning delivering newspapers, that's still going to be, you know, those guys are still going to get jobs or be able to apply to get into Air New Zealand. But they've changed their recruitment as well. Previously, um, you'd uh, apply to Air Nelson, have an interview there, no good there. You may try Eagle Air, who the 1900s you may have got in yep. there, but not even And Now, so I've got a, um, a recruiter group where uh, there's a representative from each of the link carriers. Okay. And um, I think it's down to two days now. And then um, they'll decide where the demand is. And you may end up flying ATRs or beach 1900s or Q300s. Um, and I think you may even, you know, if there's um, space, you may end up as a 777 second officer as well. So okay. that's uh, quite a change as well.
1: Yeah, that is handy. I mean, I think we're seeing that around the world now with airlines in terms of they're realizing that GA pilots are sort of drying up. People aren't going in for the GA. They're not looking at this idea of going into the bush and and flying for ages to build up ours or flying freight, as you said, across the strait. And uh, the airlines are having to realize that, well, if we want to get these pilots, the military's not releasing them. They're not coming up through GA. We're going to have to start funding our own cadets.
2: Yeah, exactly. And um, I think they're maybe just future-proofing themselves for that. Kind of like what Jetstar has done with their cadets game. Yeah, and uh, yeah.
1: The, the whole MPL, the multi-crew pilot license that they're trying to start bringing up where you, you can go through a whole lot of flying and you sort of come straight off a twin, like a DA-42, go into the sim and that's it. You're never back into the GA again. You're you're just purely in in sims doing doing CRM and multi crew environments, and then you're straight into the real thing.
2: Yeah, well, that the MPL is um, yeah totally different kettle of fish. Um, I think Indeed, about 60 hours in an airplane, usually a 172, and then the rest of your 250 hours in a simulator.
1: So they don't even put you through like a twin GA aircraft, like a DA42 or something.
2: No, no, it um, just appears to be, uh, it's quite, obviously quite big in Europe by the looks of things. I'm, I'm not sure if, um, uh, I don't know if that's the way really. You still need that basis of, uh, you know, going out there in a, in a little single VFR and, you know, making the odd mistake, obviously one that doesn't kill you, but, you know, learning from that kind of stuff and, yeah. you know, maybe being beaten about by turbulence yeah. through the Manitou Gorge, you know, or.
1: Recognize the what the environment's throwing at you and, and also the realities of being a commercial pilot.
2: Absolutely, and I reckon it probably makes for good uh, conversation as well on the flight deck. (laughs) Triple seven for twelve hours. If you've got any flying stories to talk about, yeah, you know it's going to be a very quiet flight. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, I did this in the sim. Yeah, right.
0: Dan, what about, uh, you know, we talk, uh, obviously, New Zealand's the big boy in the block over there, but uh, what about, uh, you know, the Qantas group, uh, Jet Connect and Jetstar over there? I mean, uh, do they have similar sort of recruiting programs at all?
2: Uh, well, Jetstar, um, yeah, they've got, as, as you know, their cadet scheme is open to Aussies and Kiwis. A couple of my friends have gone through and they're now based in the West Island, flying <laughs> A320s for a year. Um, they seem to be doing all right. Um, cool. Again, these were guys who, you know, six, seven, eight hundred hours total time. Mm-hmm. and all of that, so they've, they've sort of done that, but I believe it was open to guys with fresh CPLs or yep. uh, even the Abinitios, So
1: the, the program did cop a little bit of flack over here because they had guys based in New Zealand being paid in New Zealand dollars, yet they were really living over here and flying in Australia.
2: Oh no, yeah, and... Um I understand the, uh, the they're paying Australian tax dollars, yeah, whilst they're living in Australia, getting Australian dollars, so it satisfied the the, the unions. I think part of their rationale for that was that they retained, uh, as they were paying New Zealand dollars, they retained their interest-free student loans if they had yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, That does, there's pros and cons to all of it. Uh, a lot of, Not all of it comes out in the press. They're all just looking for their soundbite usually.
2: Anyway,
0: uh, you talk about uh, student loans there. That makes a good segue through to the next uh, one you've got on your list here, Dan, which is uh,
1: student Wasn't loan funding. Fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> oh, mate, you're It was a, beautiful. You're a pro. Pr- 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 we should have you on more position. often. <laughs> 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 we should have mate. you on more often, mate. Yeah, he's been <laughs> studying. Who have you been listening to? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so uh, what's this about student loans being funded by the government uh, over there?
2: Yeah, well, um, since about 2000 or maybe the late 90s, uh, the government extended the interest for the student loans to flight training. So um, basically, most larger flying schools had an alliance with either a university or a a polytech, and through there, you would enroll in a diploma in aviation, and you would get your flying funded, as well as the practical and the theoretical. And that's certainly how I funded my uh, flight training uh, Excellent. back in uh, 2002, yeah, a while ago. (laughs) <laughs> um, and it, it just made flying a lot more available for people rather than being, you know, the rich children of airline captains, that yep. kind of thing, or getting huge bank loans. Uh, of course, it, it led to a, a quite a massive increase in, in flight training.
1: Uh, oh, that can't be bad.
2: Exactly. More jobs, you know, and all the stuff down line like the, you know, obviously more engineers and-
1: More aircraft. controllers,
2: all that kind of stuff. Yeah. For every pilot, the whole,
1: there's like 20 jobs.
2: Exactly. It's uh, worth about 250 million, I believe, the, the flight training in New Zealand at the moment per year. Yeah. Not bad for a country of and a bit million. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, these student loans are um, interest-free as long as you stay in New Zealand, which is good. Yep. So, actually, if you think about it, they decrease at the rate of in- inflation every year. so. Uh-huh they're getting smaller and smaller exactly a friend of mine does that with houses
1: so
0: they're looking um, at making some changes to that uh, taking effect from next year bottle looks
2: yeah they're not going to fund the solo flight component oh, okay we? which is you know seems a bit arbitrary to me
1: so just your jewel your, your dual time and your, um, your study time type of thing
2: just your dual flight time yeah okay so where these kids are going to get 40 50 grand to cover hmm. the solar component's going to be um, you know quite interesting there's been a lot of uh, work going on behind the scenes from various vested interests and making submissions to um, get them to, you know, look at some alternatives. Yeah,
3: because
1: it's sort of like, hey, here's a car, but uh, <clears throat> you've got two wheels.
2: Exactly. You've got to pay for the other two yourself.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and And they're going cheap, only $50,000 a wheel. <laughs>
2: exactly. So we're hoping that um, they'll sort of see the light and perhaps reduce the amount of equivalent full-time students, as they call it, EFTS, mm-hmm. that are able to get the funding, which would make a lot more sense, rather than just you know arbitrarily saying, well, you can't you know, to fund your solo flight. Yeah, so but- time will tell, tell, but it's already been uh, you know advertised that uh, January 2012, you're pretty much on your own.
1: Honestly, it sounds like the government has suddenly realised that uh, – what most of us have known for a very long time most pilots don't earn a lot of money so you, you, like here in Australia they've, they've set up the same kind of thing or, or starting to do it where you can get um, vet fee help and things like this to offset the cost and and you only start paying it back once you earn more than like twenty five, thirty thousand dollars, which keeps going up every year with inflation. And most pilots go, "I dream."
2: <laughs> exactly. Well, that's how we pay it. It's um, you know they've got a, a level above which you pay a percentage, yeah, of the extra. So basically, it's an extra tax bracket. So yeah. And how
1: many pilots do you know earning that much?
2: Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: So the Aviation Industry Association of New Zealand is uh, doing what it can to perhaps get the government to see, uh, be, at least, be a bit more reasonable about this.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, uh, them um, ALPA, Air uh, New Zealand uh, large flying schools.
0: Yeah, because it seems odd that on the one hand you've got Air New Zealand starting up this cadet program, and on the other hand, um, you know, you've got the government saying, "Well, that's great because we're not going to f- we're not going to fund training anymore." So it's, it seems to be uh, you know two sides of of this argument.
2: Oh no, it's it's quite backwards, and it all took us by surprise. And we're all thinking, "Well, what does that mean? Come January, are we going to be made redundant, or you know, yeah, kind of thing?" But. Um, yeah, hopefully something's going on behind the scenes, and hopefully we get told soon what's going to happen.
0: Um, well, it worries me if they're prepared to kill off the weather briefing service for the sake of 95 grand. I mean, uh, we all know New Zealand's economy is not not massive, but still, 95 grand wouldn't be much for them. So uh, it mm. makes you wonder how much they're prepared to more to kill off if uh, 95,000 is the the sort of starting point.
2: Exactly. Now. Oh. Fingers crossed. Time will tell. I might have to get on my uh, canoe and uh, start heading over your way. I think. Come
1: over to the West Island,
2: mate.
0: You come and <laughs> come and camp in Grant's backyard. That's <laughs> it. <yeah>. <laughs> 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 now, just before we ran yeah. out the Kiwi news uh, for this episode, uh, Air New Zealand earnings uh, looks like they've not had the greatest of year. Forty five percent slump in annual earnings.
2: Absolutely, yeah. So, combination of uh, Christchurch earthquakes, uh, the Ch- uh, Japan tsunami and earthquake. So, what do we got? Yeah, net profit of one hundred twelve million for the first half, but uh, losses of thirty seven million in the second half.
0: So overall, they're still making a yeah, they're still making a profit, but just uh, not as much as they'd like to be making.
2: Exactly, yeah, yeah, and um, the government being the seventy nine percent stakeholder, um, obviously, you want to see a bit of a um, return there. But they're talking about reducing their stakeholding in New Zealand after the next election, if the national government get back in, which I'm sure they will. They do say that during the uh, Chilean uh, volcanic ash uh, period, they made an extra ten million from. Keeping on flying,
1: they uh, they did a lot of hard work with uh, with met analysis and uh, route planning, and they had, they blew more fuel by flying lower and or out of their way, but they were packed with people who needed to fly, and no one else was.
2: Well, I remember being VFR over the Taranaki about seven thousand feet, talking to Christchurch control, and then hearing an uh, New Zealand 737 coming up from Christchurch at eleven thousand feet. <laughs> Which was quite interesting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Could you hear the pilots over the noise of <laughs> coming exactly. out of the tanks?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they were making some uh, weird and wacky uh, routes across to um, Australia. Uh, flights out of Christchurch, pretty much hitting just west of Auckland and then um, hanging a left and heading over and sort of climbing what's so clear of the, the forecast ash. Uh, yeah, some obviously very smart brains in the flight planning department of Air New Zealand. Yeah, they went
1: outside the box and went walking. Well, what can we do? And again, it's that, how can we delight the people, you know?
2: Oh, yeah, it just seems to be the you old know, New Zealand attitude, you know, number eight, number eight fencing wire. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tar- Taranaki gate. Yeah.
2: Yeah, You've got to right,
1: eh? But yeah. it's, well, it's, it's more like, we haven't got enough people, we haven't got enough money. Oh, let's think outside the box. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One thing that I've just added to the bottom of the list at the last moment and catching you all by uh, surprise <laughs> yeah, <dude>. is, this, <laughs> is this whole New Zealand flair thing. And this is from the guys that we met over at uh, Oshkosh. The, they uh, they were the underlying body that brought a number of Kiwi initiatives over to demonstrate at Oshkosh and talk to people ranging from new engines to composite aircraft to uh, all sorts of really cool ideas um, in addition to the other Kiwi companies that were already going over there anyhow, because they've been going for years. And uh, apparently there's going to be a bit of a um, sort of a Kiwi equivalent of Avalon in a way. Uh, As far as I can tell it, it's it's sort of like an aviation industry gathering and air show. Uh, And it's going to happen from the 13th to the 15th of October, 2011. And uh, it's going to be up near Hamilton. It's going to be industry days and public days. And as far as I can tell, a bit of an air show, a bit of a, a market fair and and all that kind of stuff, uh, supporting Kiwi industry for aviation industry, which which makes it like a, a, a Kiwi version of Avalon, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, might be worth checking out, actually.
1: I don't. I don't think they're going to have any B 52s or uh, combat jets, but
2: no, uh, no. Nah, nah, let's not talk about that.
1: Yeah, you know, but well, when you when you look at what's uh, what what the Kiwis have got out there, uh, the Furio and all the other aircraft that are there, let alone the Ag ones, you know, the the Pacific Aerospace guys, and uh, you know, unfortunately, um, Alpha Aviation's not in existence anymore. But they took the Robin and kept building that for a while, and you know, most of the aircraft that's of, of interest and so on could quite easily work off a, a grass strip.
2: Absolutely. No, it looks like it could be an interesting uh
0: Oh, well, uh, uh, look, Dan, we'll, there. we'll uh, volunteer you to go out and do some interviews out there. That sounds
2: good. Yeah, rightio. I'll uh, take the uh, PCDU uh, east. Uh, machine down there.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me, mate. Sounds good to me. Uh, if anybody <laughs> wants to uh, check that out, of course, they can go to uh, nzflare.com and check it out. It looks uh, really interesting.
2: Yeah,
1: definitely. I've just started keeping an eye on that. It's just been coming up lately and I thought, well, it, this is a good time to mention it. And uh, the other one I'm going to mention is the classic Will It Fly? And uh, they're making a movie of this. This is a couple of guys in New Zealand who are building a replica of Richard Pierce's aircraft. That's the famous Richard, he took no photo, sorry, David Vanderhoof, Pierce, and uh, perhaps one of the first guys to fly in the world, potentially earlier than the Wright brothers, but no one got any photos, so we can't guarantee it. But, uh, you but can... we
2: know, don't we, Grant? We oh, totally, we mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: No problem, cos
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah, he's oh God, great. he's, he's
1: slipping back already.
0: <laughs> well, we but, definitely uh, wanted to get some photos of this one. Yeah, definitely.
1: <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, Vanderhoof will never let us forget it.
2: Yeah. Well, if you no, go, I've been following those guys on Facebook for a while now, and um, yeah, exactly. There.
1: Go yeah. to Facebook and in the search box type in "Will It Fly," and uh, it's a movie being made. It's primarily one gentleman, an engineer, who's uh, been working on this for a very large part of his life. I've Sort of been on the fringes just keeping an eye and, and learning a little bit through a friend of my father's. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be great to see what Ivan can do. He's uh, He's been working on this aircraft and engine replica, uh, trying to figure it out from uh, documents submitted and so on, and we're all very interested to watch and see, will it fly? Yeah, of course it will. Yeah, it's Kiwi. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the flightless bird that always flies.
0: Well, that's fantastic, Dan. Uh, thanks for uh, bringing us up to date on all that, uh, Kiwi News. And of course, folks, we're always looking for uh, for more Kiwi content on the show. And uh, if you've got suggestions for stories you'd like, uh, you know, we we like to send Dan out and make him work over there. You know, the flight instructors. If it's you know it's you know it's the winter time and you know there may be not as much flying going on, so we need to give Dan stuff to do. So uh, certainly, uh, if you've got story ideas and things you'd like to find out uh, about uh, flying over there in New Zealand, drop us a line here, gmail.com and we'll pass
1: those on to Dan. Yeah, you can tell. That Dan's uh, trying to get a role in the airlines because I've seen that photo of him on his laptop in the DA 42.
2: <laughs> yeah. Absolutely.
1: All right, no worries. We'll stick around, folks.
0: After the break, uh, I'm going back to school. Oh,
3: about bloody time.
4: Want something different to talk about on Monday? Get yourself a Jetride gift pack and tear through the skies at 900ks with Australia's ultimate jet fighter experience. Be Top Gun for the day. Go to jetride.com.au/slash PCDU or in Australia call 1300 554 876.
5: Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a
6: corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au.
5: Aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types, online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy-and-sell aviation community at Aviation.
3: Hi there,
2: I'm James Williams, inviting you to listen to Lifestyle Jazz. Lifestyle Jazz is a new contemporary, modern and smooth jazz show on the Lifestyle Pod Network. It's hosted by me, James Williams, and each show you can enjoy a half hour of some of the best jazz around. So let me invite you now to visit us on our website where you can subscribe to the podcast, look at who we're playing and listen to a few shows. I look forward to seeing you soon at Lifestyle
0: lifestylejazz.com. Hi, I'm Stephen Forrest from the Airspeed
1: Podcast, and when I'm not producing a show, I'm listening to guys who are inverted all the time, playing crazy down under.
0: Okay, well, we are here at Brentwood Secondary College here in Melbourne's East in Glen Waverley. It's a little bit strange sitting in this place. It's about 23 years, I think, since I've been here last uh, because it's my former high school But we're not here for a uh, high school reunion We're actually here to talk about a really uh, positive program That they're doing here And uh, they've got an aviation program uh, going on So we're going to have a chat about that So the director of that program is Chris Barry Chris, welcome
5: oh, Thanks very much
0: You're doing that in conjunction with our friends down at uh, Turret and Flying School, Aus Air Services So joining us is our friend uh, Angie Marino Good morning all Okay, let's talk about this program Chris, maybe a bit of your background first
5: You're a pilot? Uh, yeah, I started um, my training when I was in Year 9 at school And um, basically went to night school to get my theory subjects up. Uh, A couple of days after year 12, that's when I qualified as a commercial pilot. And then I went on to do uh, flight instructing, which I did for quite some time. Just sort of found that the industry wasn't um, sort of declining and decided to move on and and just get a part-time job doing something else which is what I did but um, continued to fly skydivers etc and um, always loved it and always wanted to contribute as much as I could.
0: So uh, tell us some of the schools that you've taught at just locally or? Uh,
5: No I've been uh, well when I first got my teaching degree um, I actually got my teaching degree because I thought you know what happens if something goes wrong in aviation but apart from that I I loved teaching as well and my, my whole family have a background of school teaching so um, it was something that I was keen and enthusiastic to do but uh, as soon as I got my teaching qualification I went up to Tennant Creek in the Northern Territory and I was teaching up there maths and science um, and I it's a very lucky place up there because um, there's there's a fair bit of money with a mining boom and uh, a person came along who bought an airplane a Cessna 210 with a speed kit on it but didn't have a pilot's license at all to fly it and it sat at the airport for up to a year I think until I came along and he found out that I could fly it and so with that I started flying the that for him and, and moving him around, and then he gave me the option of just taking it wherever I like. As you know, and uh, went to explore the whole Northern Territory in that 210 That's with amazing, friends, yeah. and yeah, I went around to Borroloola and uh, just most amazing places and, and got a lot of experience up there. And after I finished up at Tennant Creek, I, I came down here and taught uh, at a school in Fountain Gate. Um, and then my wife and I, we've um, bought and sold a, a few houses um, in the time just moving around. And I ended up down at Cooey Rupp, and now here I am in Glen Waverley.
0: Right, so um, let's talk about the aircraft. Of course, you've flown 210s, but what else have you got uh, in the logbook?
5: Uh, well, let's see, I've, I've got a multi-engine Command IFR instrument rating as well, so there's, there's you know a full range of signals over that time. Um There's been chieftains and, um, you know, various other light twins, I guess. And uh, then I started to get into the skydiving scene. And at that stage, you know, this is going back in the early 90s, I guess there was um, uh, a fairly... uh, high population of pilots wanting to fly so there was wasn't getting paid or anything like that but i flew skydivers every weekend and that was in a cessna 182 and then they bought a cessna 206 and um, eventually they bought a nomad and i was flying a nomad there for a while and got a lot of experience up in that
0: now let's talk about getting the program into the school Um, Andrew might talk to you a bit about how that came about too um, we've always been very positive about the way um, you guys down at Turidan uh, are doing things. It it's really seems to be a refreshing attitude.
5: So how did this link-up come about? I was a skydiving pilot down at Turidan and had um, a close association with the flying school next door. And uh, a very good mate of mine, Gordon Brown, is the, runs charter operations down there. And I was, I was talking to him about one day combining teaching with flying and he said oh you should speak to um, the CFI down there and I did that and he gave me some pointers and I thought I'm really going to take this away now and, and work at it and do the best I can so he um, gave me the information I needed and I spoke to people that I knew in the education department about trying to get it started and um, it, it basically so to speak took off from there and uh, you know once I managed to get through a few loopholes um, and a, a couple of hurdles you know, both with the curriculum proving that it's an actual school subject and trying to incorporate as much um, science and maths, physics, etc., into the course, which wasn't very hard to, no. to demonstrate, I managed to get approval to do it through the school council. And um, since then, I've met with the Board of Education and trying to get it approved uh, as a VCE subject in units 1 and 2 3 and 4 year 11 and 12 and not just for this school but that would open up the gates then for all other schools and I'd like to work with other schools around the area or in Victoria uh, to try and bring a, a program to them that has been approved and and work with them so you know other people do have the opportunity to to fly
0: so the uh, the education department was quite receptive to to the concept when you pitched
5: at them when they uh, when I first pitched it and they they um, looked at me I suppose with a little bit of disbelief, thinking, "Oh, we haven't sort of really done something like that before, as far as an approval is concerned." But when I explained all about it and how it came about, he was actually quite enthusiastic and, and willing to support it. So uh, he, he's given me a lot of paperwork to go away with, and I've enrolled myself in a, a seminar in the city as to you know how to properly go about it and get the paperwork completed as much as I can, because the guys that are doing the Year 10 course at the moment are very keen to make it a Year 11 and 12 subject and continue it, and if we can get that approval then we can get um, students up to at least commercial standard by the end of year 12 as far as the theory aspect is concerned.
0: Angie, the instructors down at Turidan, have they been coming up here to the school or what has been their involvement outside of their normal uh, work practices down there?
7: Uh, We have the students actually come out to Turidan, to the airfield, and conduct their lessons down there. So we have all instructors uh, on board and um, it's kind of like a factory line, I suppose. The students uh, come in, their files are taken out and they go out for their flight, come back in and they wait for each other and have a chat about it in the lounge area and... um, that's, that's how it's conducted. That's how it's
0: going. Do you have the instructors? Are they coming up to the school occasionally up here to, to do any sort of work up here?
7: Uh, no, we haven't had any instructors come out to the school. It's just it's so busy down at Turin that they don't really have a chance. However, yesterday we had to cancel... Uh, flights due to the weather so we just faxed through some practice exams and Chris and the students went through those instead of um, I suppose having a day that's completely lost.
5: See the other thing is too that I do have a GA instructor rating there as well Um, and so it's it's a good setup in the fact that I've got all of my training notes that have all been approved so I can run the entire theory aspects side of things here at the school and then the practical side of things can be done down at the airport and that includes all the flight briefings, Etc. So, it's it's closely scrutinised, and that's the only way that I want to do it anyway. So the flight instructors and the CFI check carefully my notes and what I'm actually teaching them, and then they also ask the kids, they test them as well with their knowledge, uh, and then we we work very closely like that. So you know all of the bases are covered, and I, I guess this is a great thing to do in a school because you know they, these guys have started it now and started their a, a very positive career path and, um, you know, are able to do it at school rather than being outside of school so they can really work hard and concentrate on their aviation subjects. And, and you know, I, if I had this opportunity myself at school, I, I would have done it. And I guess that's a lot of the reason that I've been so motivated to push it as much as I have, because. Being a school teacher is great, however I love my flying as well and I just found it such a waste of skills not being able to use them and pass on the knowledge that I've acquired over the 20 plus years that I've been flying. So this is a great opportunity for me to pass on the love of flying and teaching and share my knowledge with other kids who are ultimately going to benefit from it.
0: Chris, you talked about integration with some of the other very important subjects to do with flying within the school, mathematics, physics primarily. How have the other teachers have they been receptive to that and have you had to uh, perhaps tailor some of those programs more towards the aviation
5: side of those oh the teachers at this school are very very supportive of um, what I've been doing um, they think it's fantastic and, and by on all accounts after speaking with the teachers and mind you we have to keep you know quite, fairly accurate um, reports on the kids and their progress, but if you actually speak to the teachers of all the students that are involved, all of their marks and their attitude has been markedly improved. Not just in the aviation. I know that they're very keen, and enthusiastic, but in all their other subject areas too, their teachers are scratching their head, just saying, you know, it's a f- such a fantastic program. And I guess that when you find something that you really like, then you know you're generally going to work towards it. And what's happened is it's just it's rubbed off on all of their other subject areas and. Um, the latest comment I got about a particular student who's improved um, remarkably, who was perhaps a little unsettled in Year 7 and 8, um, they said that he's an absolute star now and tries his hardest, he keeps quiet and, and is really working towards his goal of um, achieving an aviation qualification.
0: It's one of the pressures that's on kids, isn't it, when they're at a very at, at this sort of age where they're, they're sort of really forced to start looking at career choices at, at an age where perhaps you know, some of them are not uh, perhaps prepared for that, but if you're out there doing the, what you're doing and showing and letting you get their hands on it, mm. that must be uh, such a positive thing in
5: that regard. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And then, you know, I'm doing something I love, they're doing something that they love, and at the end of it there's, you know, uh, a career at it uh, for them at the end of it. Okay,
0: now we've got uh, three students here who are just sitting here looking, at, listening to all those positive remarks, and they've all got swollen heads now. So, it's, so we've got Luca, Anthony and Nick. Guys, welcome. Uh, thank you. So, Luca, we'll start with you. Now, how old are you? Are you guys all the same age? Um, I'm 16. Yeah, uh, turning
6: 16.
4: 16, yep.
0: Okay, cool. Now, how long have you been interested in flying? Was this something that um, you became interested in through this program at the school, or was it something that you'd always, you know, uh, had an interest in?
4: Well, I've, from a young age, I guess I've kind of been interested with kind of planes and that kind of thing. But um, just recently in the past few years, uh, I've been kind of gaining an interest in aviation, particularly through um, like uh, computer games and flight simulators. And I'd always kind of, you know, thought of flying as this kind of amazing adventure. However, I'd never be able to achieve it because of the large financial cost and the massive amount of effort it would take to do it alongside, you know, my current studies. So when this uh, opportunity came along, it was that one perfect opportunity to try out flying. And it was the right choice, really.
0: Now tell us about the first time you got in the plane and uh, did your first flight. What was the? Tell us about the um, that experience.
4: Well, it was very nerve wracking to just be in the small plane and sitting in the command seat. Um, but you know, it was a lot easier than I really thought. Uh, we were all really surprised at just how natural and easy it was to actually get in the plane and fly it. But it was really a wonderful experience, just flying up high in the sky, just pretty much you in that small plane looking over everything.
0: I remember when I, way, way back in the, you know, sometime in the last century, when I did my first trial instructional flight, and I did that out of Moorabbin, and uh, taking off there, and the first thing that struck me, I'll never forget it, is that the view of the bay, and I thought, this is for me, I'll tell you. Now, you guys are doing it down at Turret, and so you're right on the bay, so, I mean, uh, there's, there's great scenery down there. Does that really struck you guys when you, what about you, Anthony?
6: Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Just looking out the windows as we're flying, it's just an amazing, it's just amazing scenery and everything. The water, like the sun reflects off the ward and you just get a nice shimmery glow and the town of Kui Rup just looks amazing from, you yeah. know, three 4,000 feet in the air.
0: Now, um, tell, us about, uh, tell us about your interest in aviation, mate.
6: Um, ever since I was young and I'd first seen a plane, it was just, I want to do that. And I always thought, you know, I'd have to join the Air Force or something in order to get a licence because, I mean, I haven't missed an air show since I was about six. I haven't missed the Avalon Air Show. And um, when this opportunity came along, I just jumped at it because it was just so amazing to be able to do it in school and... For the price it was, it was just unbelievable.
0: Now, uh, Nick, tell us about uh, your first uh, your first experience getting up there in the air. What was that like?
4: Oh, well, it's, it is really quite amazing. Um, honestly, when you first go up, you're a little stiff with the controls, but after you're up there for a while, it just gets so natural and you can fly around. And honestly, on my first time... Um, uh, the weather was absolutely gorgeous, and one of the things was I actually saw a rainbow like around the side. It was really fantastic scenery. It's cool. absolutely amazing.
0: Now, tell us about some of the aircraft you guys have been flying. Uh, we know they do a lot of uh, RA stuff, but they've got 2A6, uh, I think, down there as well, haven't you? Yeah. So, which which aircraft have you guys been spending most of your time in, and what's your favourite aircraft? Tell us that.
4: Well, um, we're flying the Jabiru J170s, I believe. They're the small trainer craft crafts. Uh, they're really nice, actually. I find it really easy to handle. Um, my favourite aircraft, I guess, is... I think the Cessna Grand Caravan. Mm. Um, it's
0: a little bit of a step out from the jeb, but anyway. Well, it
4: is. But, um, you know, it's really stemming from my flight sim days, it was really my favourite to fly. And um, I got a lot of, you know, little flight sim hours in that. Uh, I think it's just, you know... The nice aircraft, just yeah. It's one of those little personal things.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I guess you guys as well. You guys have done a lot of the uh, the flight simulator stuff on the computer, is that right?
6: Um, I've used it a little bit but I sort of I haven't actually owned a flight simulator since Flight Simulator ninety five. I sort of mm-hmm. instead of so much playing computer games and I prefer looking at them flying. Things like just watching military jets on YouTube and things like that. Just it's seeing them fly is amazing.
0: I, I tell you a funny story about, um, about flight simulator and I can't land them because you haven't got that <laughs> sensation through the seat of your pants. I mean, it was, It's such a different sensation, isn't it, guys, between looking at it on a computer and actually getting in the aircraft and doing it, you know, you, you really wouldn't want to go back to yeah. flight simming after that, would you? Absolutely. Yeah.
6: Especially since if, you, if you're sort of getting tired or you need to do something on flight sim, you can pause it or close down the computer. But when you're in a plane, you've got to come back and land and you, yeah. you, you can't do anything else. Well, you're up there, it's you fly.
0: Now, you guys are all doing your license, is that right? Through RAOs? Is that how you're doing it? Yeah. Okay, so how many hours have we got in the logbook now?
5: Um, they've actually got about five or six hours at the moment. Um, and we had uh, one of our students last week do their first, completely first, unassisted landing. Uh, and got the aeroplane done on the ground nice and safely without any intervention from the instructor and I think that to be able to do that in such little time is quite a remarkable achievement.
0: That is a remarkable achievement. That wasn't one of these guys here, I think. No, 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 it wasn't.
5: <laughs> It'd be good if it was.
0: Yeah. Almost there, yeah.
5: <laughs> they're, they're, look, they're very, very close apart, you know.
0: So uh, at the moment you're working through things like effects of controls, that sort of stuff. We've You've been, been doing looking stalls?
5: at effects of controls. We were supposed to do stalling yesterday, but unfortunately the weather meant that we weren't able to get up. Um, and we always look at the safety aspect aside first um, before the, the enthusiastic side, if you know what I mean. Um, it's very important that I make when we're first learning to make this an enjoyable experience rather than one that's going to take you up there just for the sake of going up that's going to end up making you sick. So yesterday's lesson was supposed to be stalling and we've um, had extensive briefings about that and we'll just have to carry that forward to next week. But sure, we're following the, um, the same program as uh, any other CASA school. Um, we're doing effects of control, we're doing um, climbing and descending turns, etc. So yeah, the same program as, as anyone else would do and we, we follow that very closely and make sure that we dot our I's and cross our T's.
0: And what is the goal of this program to get these guys up to a point where they can get their licence? Is that what you're pushing towards?
5: I'm trying to make sure that they're um, at least up to solo standard. I'd love to see that. Um, but my enthusiasm is to, as I said, make it... I, I don't want to just finish with these guys at Year 10 and say, well, thanks very much, that was fun, see you later, and dump it, if you know what I mean. I'm desperately wanting to have an approval to get it approved as a Year 11 and 12 subject where it is credited towards their VCE. Um, working hard to do that so I can continue to work with these guys and at least, as I said, get them up to commercial licence standard and and complete all those exams um, required to do that.
0: And talking about commercial licence standard, are all you guys now through this program or even before perhaps now considering um, going and and taking this up as a career or perhaps looking at the military, something like that?
4: Well, yeah, it is definitely um, appearing now as a career choice um, even though it wasn't before. Before, my experience with plans was probably just... Being a frequent flyer, I often flew um, across state. Um, But now, really, it's becoming quite clear that this is a very valid career choice and it is a fantastically fun one.
6: (laughs) What about you, Anthony? Um, Yeah, to fly commercial planes would be great all over the world, um, overseas to countries, just everywhere. But I'm sort of also looking towards, yeah, the military, something like the Air Force, flying the fast jets they've got and um, just maybe even the bigger transport planes and things like that.
0: Absolutely. You know, I always thought if I um, ever got into the military that I would have liked to have actually flown Hercules rather than fast jets, so uh, I might be a bit weird that way. I think most guys your age would uh, much rather be doing fast jets, but... (laughs)
4: the need for speed.
0: And what about you, Luke? Are you sort of looking at um, tailoring your subjects next year in year 11 perhaps towards making sure that you, you get those important subjects that will, will get you a career if
4: that's what you choose? No, definitely. I was originally considering a the, towards the start of this year a career in engineering of some sort. However, uh, when I first approached this subject I always thought you know, uh, recreational flight was for me because I always had a love of just being up in the sky and just the scenery. However, within the last you know a couple of sessions i've really been thinking about you know this is a very valid career choice and it was some and it's something i could really enjoy doing for a long time.
0: And I think all of you guys have uh, expressed that not only it's a good career choice if that's what you want to do but it's fun isn't it? It's fun to get up there and fly and you know one of my flying instructors said to me many years ago it's nice to have a skill that not everybody's got so uh, I'd really encourage you guys to keep it up and, and make sure you get that skill and it's it gives a good bragging rights if nothing
5: else. And uh, I mean I'd encourage anybody too that was interested in, in doing uh, or joining an aviation course to contact me and I can perhaps try and put them on the right path or at least uh, advise them as to how uh, I'm progressing with making it a year 11 and 12 subject, uh, I would really like to have a uh, made at least year 11 standard by the end of next year and um, as i said it's not just open to this school but it will then open it up to other schools as well and we could um, work with them to to offer them um, flight instruction as well and hopefully get their career path moving a lot earlier than what it normally would
0: yeah well we were over in the united states recently at Oshkosh we were talking to some people there from the young eagles program that they have over there which is a nationwide program that encourages um, you know guys kids of this age to to really consider aviation and, and really promote it mm-hmm. and really what you doing here is is something that along those lines, isn't it? And it's it's something that we I really hope that it can be expanded through this state and perhaps beyond.
5: And and is just the ideal place to do it as well. Um, it does. I you could ask, you know, why why do it down there? Then you know, out, out of somewhere like Moraben. And um, I I learnt from Moraben, and I found that. You know, you spent most of your time taxiing around and most of your time at holding points and that just wasn't for me. Whereas at Turidan, I mean, the majority of your time is flying and you don't have the, the same traffic hassles as what you do. And let's face it, you know, at this early stage, what you want to do is get to learn how to fly the aeroplane, um, not worry about all sorts of other traffic in the circuit, etc., um, at, this, at this stage of their careers. Well,
0: the other thing in Moorabbin too is the landing fees are... But it, it, yeah, the,
5: that's that. That's also the point as well I mean if you're going to run a program like this In a government school You need to be able to keep the costs down As much as you can And um, for me to drive these kids down a tour At an airport actually takes less time Than what it does to Moorabbin Airport Because it's always opposite the traffic um, Plus it's a, it's a good group of people down there It's very community based Um Yeah, it's it's well-maintained. I like the facilities down there that I've got available for students. Um, And I I deliberately kept this course small this time around just so I could trial it and see how I went and learn from any mistakes that I might have made. But now that I've got a feel for how I'm operating it and what I'm doing, um, I certainly hope to make it a lot bigger uh, next year when I decide to run it again as well.
0: Just on that, how many students are in this course at the moment?
5: Uh, Up to 12 at the moment is all I really wanted to take. Um, I did have a lot more interest than that. But I was concerned that I wanted to do it properly rather than half-heartedly, if you know what I mean. And when you've got a lot of students like that as well, it's it's a it's a big responsibility. Um, not that I'm worried about the responsibility side, but I really wanted quality, not quantity, just until I get used to um, the way I'm going to operate it, having not ever done something like this before.
0: One of the other things uh, we should talk about there is the, the cost of the program. What is it costing you to do this?
5: Well, normally it costs me a lot more than what it is. However, um, I've been very fortunate enough to... Um, have have the program sponsored and uh, what that means is that, you know, 100% of those funds go into the students and um, go to towards, you know, subsidising the costs. So, the, the costs that these guys have are um, the textbooks and um, the transport to and from the airport and um, you might think the transports, you know, Not much of a cost, but it's actually close on $300 just for one trip, um, which I find staggering. So eventually what I hope to do is to get a minibust and make it a lot cheaper like that. But at the moment, they're paying about um, $2,000. And... um, we have an instalment plan here at the school, which um, has been used, uh, and they can just gradually pay it off like that.
0: Is the um, the education department in in the school are they receptive to more corporate sponsorship?
5: If that was to come your way, they would be, and I, I would strongly encourage it, and love to hear from anybody that would like to get their name on the program. I'm more than happy to call it, you know, whatever business you are, um, aviation program, and and certainly the advertising that you would get from that would be well worth your, worth your while and the other good thing about it um, having the government come to the party as well and allow me to run it as a year 11 and 12 subject uh, means that it's also eligible for funding from the government so um, that would further or uh, significantly bring the costs down a lot more and um, you know give those students the opportunity whose dream and, and goal aspirations are to become a pilot and actually make it um, something that is reachable for them.
0: Now you guys have uh, been uh, doing a bit a bit of promotion for this in the media. I've seen you on the TV and uh, in the local papers, Uh, and I've even noticed while we were sitting here this morning you've been taking inquiries, so it's obviously sounds like it's generated a lot of um, inquiries for the program from, I guess, from outside the school.
5: Oh, absolutely. Um, I get phone calls just about every single day from parents ringing up on behalf of their kids, wanting to enrol their kids into this school because they're so keen on um, being a part of the flight program but the the problem with I guess this school is that it's we're really packed full at the moment we're actually one of the top 5% of state schools Um, and with that obviously we have a lot of interest from parents wanting to enrol their kids because of that and the aviation program just further adds to that as well. So look if we uh, had more buildings and more portables sure we could certainly take in more students but we're just at max capacity at the moment which is why I need to find another school that I can work with and introduce it to there as well.
0: We'll put some details for uh, how people can contact the school perhaps if they want to, uh, you know, to even teachers from other schools that might be interested in uh, in seeing what you're doing here and we'll put some links in the show notes uh, for this episode so that people can uh, make inquiries. Are you happy for people to, to badger you all day about that?
5: Oh, absolutely. You can just give me a call. That's at Brentwood Secondary College and the phone number is 8545- zero three double zero um, just ask for Chris Barry or I'll give you my email address which is my school email address. It's Barry B A R R Y dot Chris C H R A S dot B B for Barry at edumail E D U M A I L dot Vic gov.au.
0: Fantastic. Now, uh, what about you, Angie? Um, you're getting lots of inquiries uh, down at the school about this.
7: We're getting uh, a lot of positive feedback, and there is a lot of interest that has been generated um, by all the, I suppose, the media attention. I'm getting a lot of um, a lot of good feedback from. People in um, government, actually, Education Minister, the Minister of Aviation, and I recently had a meeting with Swinburne who were extremely interested to... um Take it, take it on board, and if this if this can be approved as an accredited program in year 11 and 12, they're um, interested in taking it further, sort of as a bachelor or a degree um, at the university, which is you know something we can offer, I suppose, in the long run. It's something really exciting.
0: Yeah, you guys are really kicking goals, and you know on our show we're big fans of what you guys do down here, and I, I can tell from the first time we went down here that um, you guys were trying to take a bit of a different approach to it. So it's it's such a positive thing what, what you're all doing here. I really congratulate you on it. Angie, Chris and uh, Luca, Anthony and Nick thanks very much for joining us guys and if you don't mind we might uh, follow your progress for the rest of the year and uh, see how you're going
7: thank you for having us thank you
0: Okay, September 12th, 2011 marks the start of the Reno Air Races this year, and uh, our friends at Tracy Racing, of course, we know they're going to go over and wipe the floor with all their opponents there, so uh, joining us on the line now is Mark Pracy to bring us up to speed on how the preparations are going. G'day, Mark. G'day, Steve. How are you going? I didn't want to put too much pressure on you there, mate, by saying wiping the floor, but, I, you know, I, I, we don't expect much.
3: No, yeah, that's easy. It's not. There's not much competition. <laughs>
1: That's really set a few backs up, hasn't it? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah it's just the whole entire American uh, continent that's all
1: yeah, yeah well,
0: you know we're, we're gonna you're gonna go over there and show you know we've been talking you up over there at Oshkosh mate, so uh, you know we, we've we sort of set you up there so you you can't let us down there
3: yeah? yeah, I know well it's a, it's a big ask though I mean they've got some uh, great toys over there and some great pilots that uh yeah. Certainly not going to be an easy task to be in anywhere in the field, to be honest. As long as we don't see them all, that's the main thing. Because if you see them all, you're in big trouble.
0: Well, tell us how the preparations are going with the jet, mate. Uh, I noticed, uh, just having a look on the Facebook page here, that uh, it's got a wonderful-looking paint job on it. It's been uh, quite an upgrade since the last time we looked.
3: Yeah, it has. It keeps moving all the time. I mean, uh, we've got the uh, Aussie flag on the tail, which you may have seen, and we've got uh, some certain sponsors that we've got to put on the aircraft. We've actually got uh, Tourism Australia, which is uh, supporting us over that way, so uh, that's a big thing, and they're, they're recognising that there's big crowds in the United States, and uh, they certainly want to be seen around the globe, and, and our aircraft's are part of that, I guess.
1: Yeah, I saw that come through. We uh, replicated that on our Facebook page after you guys posted it. Yeah. Brilliant, mate. Brilliant.
3: Yeah, no, that's a good thing. I mean, it's uh, – it's good for Australia, you know. It's going to be seen around the world, and we get a lot of we get a lot of attention from America uh, as it is. Uh, in regards today, we had an American guy wanted to go flying, but unfortunately it was raining, and uh, he had to keep moving because he was on the move.
0: How you been practicing for this, Mark? Have you been spending most of your time back here in Australia, or sort of splitting it between here and the US?
3: No, I've been most of the time in Australia. here. I've been flying the jet. You know, we fly probably uh, five days out of seven, I guess. So we're in it all the time which is fortunate for me, I guess, uh, keeping up to speed in the old 39. And uh, we're always flying at, you know, fairly high G, I guess. So high G is going to be something you're always manoeuvring around in Reno. Uh, just the low level, I guess, is the uh, the, the thing we don't fly our jet around as much as what you would in Reno.
1: You, you're mentioning, you know, you're doing lots of low levels and Gs and all that kind of stuff. Just how do you work yourself up to be ready to do go fast, fly low turn left
3: yeah well it's, it's it's pretty hard to do it outside of other than being on the track to be honest because you know going low level it's fairly easy and going fast is easy but around the track's a difficult bit because it all comes up pretty quick and uh you think that you sort of know what the track is but it all happens fairly fast you know when i first went around the track i recall. I reckon I would have missed, went over the next mountain if I wasn't following another aeroplane. <laughs> so, uh, you know, until you, you sort of slow the plane down and you think, okay, okay, this is the track, this is the track. And then you can bring the pace up. Yeah. Once you get so familiar with it. Yeah. So that's the main thing is just to know where the track is and, and anticipate where the pylons are are
0: you yeah. able to gauge at this early stage how you're sort of sitting by comparison to some of the other uh, people that'll be racing there
3: oh look you can you can roughly do that um but on race day it's like anything like we're tweaking our aircraft as we, as uh, as we speak now sort of thing and, and no doubt everybody else is so when we were racing around the track earlier, we are all going around with plenty of fuel, lots of fuel on because we've just come out of the um, out of the area and then we enter into the track. But, I mean, as you, as race day, you're going to be taking minimal fuel, I guess. So, you know, you're probably going to drop another 300, 350 kilos off what you're racing around in and and, and weighted speed when it comes to uh, racing. Well, that's interesting.
0: So how long does each race go for?
3: Oh, about – the race is about eight minutes, I guess. You know, you got eight laps, so it's uh, eight minutes for simplicity. But then you've got set-up time, so the, the lead aircraft takes off, and you've got to join up on him, and then they uh, get formed up, and then they come down the chute. So once you come down the chute, you know, and you pass Pylon 4 where the race is on, and you, you've probably got eight or nine minutes of racing. Can you remind me, what
1: uh, what sort of Gs are you pulling there?
3: Uh, look, about four. Four Gs would be the uh, limit. If you're pulling any more than four, you know, you... Uh, you got a bit of trouble there, which means you've you, you misjudged a corner. And if G's pulling G is losing power. So, well, you need more power to overcome it, and the, you don't have the power because you generally pull throttle. So uh, the more G you pull, the, the speed's going to decrease. So it's about four sustained all the way through, or do you? No, like... no, it's not sustained all the way through. You have a couple of spaces there where you can don't you don't quite level out, but the G will come off you. You know, might come back to about two G and then uh, then you pour into the corners, into the main corners.
1: So you're doing the hook maneuver, you know, like hooking tight,
3: tight uh, and all that? Yeah, you, t- oh, you certainly tense up, that's for sure. I mean, uh, but we'll be probably using a G-suit this time. We weren't going to, but G-suit is not for G-tolerance. It's for telling you what's going on with the aircraft. I mean, because uh, there's a G-suit pumped up, you know, you know that, hang on, that's pumped up a little hard, so that means obviously I've pulled a bit too much G there, which means I've misjudged the corner. Of uh, I might have to lead the corner a bit better on the next next turn because every time you pull a sharp corner, well, you, you're you losing speed. So your G suit will tell you that as well as uh, other indicators. Sounds like it's quite the workout and probably a good thing it's only eight minutes or so. <laughs> yeah, look it's, look, it's probably the most intense eight minutes you'll get, I mean, you know, apart from a few other things, I guess, but...
1: <laughs> <laughs> Most intense eight minutes you can get in the cockpit, right?
3: Yeah, that's it. That's the one. Oh, there you go. There you go.
0: Hey, Mark. Uh, last time we spoke to you, you were talking about doing everything you can to get weight out of the aircraft, including removing the uh, the seat from the back. But I was just thinking about the equipment required to run the G suit. Does that carry much of a weight penalty for you?
3: No, not really, because it's already hooked up to the aircraft. You can hear it going off. So as you as you're pulling G, and it, because it's not connected, it's actually uh, you can hear it releasing and, and and squirting into the cockpit. So no, it's just a basic snap-on fitting and in, in you go and, and, and instead of blowing into the cockpit you'll blow into your suit. Th- I was just trying to think that time when I was
0: up with you, I couldn't hear that. I think I could just hear the blood rushing through my head most of the time.
3: Yeah, because yeah, it's up right next to me, sitting next to me uh, on my left-hand side, and I can hear it going off, and which you probably couldn't with the distance behind me and your, your helmet on. But when we first got the jet, uh, nobody knew what that noise was and uh, <laughs> had a bit of a concern until and, and one day we listened to a YouTube tape and of uh, Reno, and the same noise was coming out. And we thought, hang on, what's that? And we found so found out it was the g suit because it wasn't hooked up.
0: Right, so that's something that's sufficiently hardwired into the aircraft that you couldn't remove it if you wanted to, I guess is the point. Yeah, that's right, yeah. 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 Mark, okay, uh, you're here with us tonight solo, of course, so uh, young Mark, he's across over there now. In fact, I've been looking at his uh, Twitter feed, so actually I think he is uh, already over there in the in the US getting things ready.
3: Uh, no, he's not quite over there yet. He's, he's on. He's in transit on the way to uh, Sydney and he'll be off very shortly there. And he probably is tweeting or, or, or Facebooking. Yeah, uh, Facebooking, uh, yeah.
0: He's pretty prolific with his Facebooking,
1: we've noticed.
3: Y- yes, he's a bit of a fan of Facebooker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. We need more more folks like that. To, I take it he's the one who's responsible for putting the updates in, yeah?
3: He does. He does put a few updates. And sometimes I do, but I, um, I'm not a religious Facebooker.
0: Now looking on your uh, team page here at pracyracing.com we've got uh, Charlie Camilleri and Michael Swan uh, as part of your team as well your crew chief and your team manager when are they are they already over there too or what's the sure. what's the, what's the plan from here on
3: Charlie's going to go over with Mark as they'll prepare the aircraft they've got a bit of work to do uh, to the aircraft to get it ready because uh, again you know they're going to be doing some adjustments to uh, refine the uh, refine it I guess because there's plenty to do on that sort of refinement scenario because there's uh there's a there's a big gauge that you've got to try and stay within with speed. So, uh, you know, there's lots to do there. And, and, and Mike Swan, he'll go over after me. I'll go over on the 6th, and Mike Swan will go over about the 10th. And we sort of all go on at different times as required because uh, there's not much point in us all being over there and just sort of getting in each other's way. So... The two boys will go over, Charlie and Mark first, and then I'll go over, and then Mike Thorne will go over.
0: And how much interest is there over there at Reno with the fact that uh, you know there's, there's quite a lot of Aussies and Kiwis uh, racing this time around? I mean, is that something that they're used to over there, or is it mostly US pilots?
3: No, it's mostly US pilots. It's a bit of a strange thing to have a lot of international pilots, so uh, they quite enjoy the fact that it's becoming international and not just uh, local, I guess, being uh, having the... Uh, American dollar where it is, I guess it makes the internationals easier to, easier to, to get over there and participate than rather than in the past. So it's a bit of a new thing for them, I guess. I mean, of, of course, they've had some Canadians going over there because uh, it's not too far away. But other than that, it's predominantly Americans, yeah.
0: I no, see so you've been doing a bit of media while you've been there. And uh, is that mostly media coming back to Australia or a bit of both?
3: Uh there was a bit of both. I mean, uh, I got sent something from um, Mike Mangold. we done an interview and that, that just come back over. And uh, there was obviously oh, the news reports that were in America that filtered back over through to Australia, and of course we're going to be doing some TV oh, this Friday, I think, that's going to be uh, from Sydney, and I'm not too sure what they're going to do with that. So yeah, so there's there's plenty going on.
1: That's always good to keep you busy, but uh, you just want to make sure that it doesn't get in the way of your focus and concentration, hey.
3: Well, it does, and on on the day, well, on the days that we're going to be racing, you know, we, we've got to really um, take notice of that and, and try and uh, distance yourself a little bit because it can interrupt your preparation. And uh, you know, preparing for to, to race at Reno, it's pretty important to, to, to disconnect yourself a little bit from uh, the publicity and and what you would generally like to have happen, which is publicity, because publicity breeds everything. And uh, you, at one point, you have to switch yourself off.
1: So how do you go about uh juggling the the whole media running a business and flying because as we heard from Maddie Hall uh, when he had his walk on water incident in Windsor, he was really flat out trying to juggle all those three and uh, sort of got behind and probably wasn't right on top of where he wanted to be when he was flying. So what what kind of steps do you take to to try and juggle the, th- the big three?
3: Yeah, well, that, that's an interesting concept. And having someone like Matt Hall is a fairly good yardstick for Australia too, so he's a good... Uh way to judge what's going to happen and and things like that so of course you take you know you don't really reinvent the wheel and you you obviously we've all heard what matt's had to say and i've spoken to matt myself because we live on the same airport um you know take advice of what's happened to him and and listen and learn and that's what we have to do we're getting older so you you have to listen and learn and and the lessons that he learned i guess um we should be listening to, and and that's what we'll probably do.
0: Do we know if there's going to be much TV coverage of the event over here? Like perhaps uh, some of the cable channels might carry that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, look, I, I doubt it very much because um, up until now, really, uh, other than last year, there hasn't been many Australians at all, or, or only one, one. You know, Johnny Crookshorn was uh, over there, but uh, now that there's three of us, I mean, they may start looking at it, but uh, I don't. I'm not aware of anything at the moment.
0: Well, we'll uh, certainly make sure that uh, we'll, we'll cover it as best we can here in Plain Crazy Down Under, that's for sure.
3: Sure thing, yeah. You bring the camera over and away you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> I,
0: I think we used up all our uh, brandy points of their employers for this year, at least for overseas trips.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's
3: employers. I'm talking more about the uh, significant other here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. She yeah. who must be obeyed.
3: bait. <laughs> <laughs> you only get one free off the hook charge per year, I believe. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I've used mine well and truly. <laughs> I could probably squeeze one more in, but...
1: Yes, if I go without <laughs> taking her, I'm going to get in trouble.
0: Well, that's excellent, Mark. We wish you all the very best, mate. You're getting over there and representing uh, not only your company, but representing uh, Australia as well. And uh, uh, we're sure that you're going to uh, really do a great job over there. Pracyracing.com. Uh, if people want to have a look at the schedule for the uh, for the Reno Air Races, they can find that at airrace.org. Uh, but more importantly, they should follow Pracy Racing. You can do that on Facebook, folks. So uh, make sure you get over there and check it out.
3: Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks for, uh, thanks for everything. Thanks, mate. Great to have you back with us. Talk to you soon.
5: I'm Matt Hall. Hi, I'm Matt Hall. I'm Matt Hall.
1: No, I'm Matt Hall. No, I'm Matt Hall.
6: Everyone wants to be Australia's champion Red Bull Air Race pilot, and now you can own a piece of Matt Hall memorabilia. Polos, T-shirts and caps for all shapes and sizes can be found at matthallracing.com. Just go to the online store and you too can be in the loop. Hello, I'm Matt Hall. (laughs)
1: G'day, I'm Michael. Hi, I'm Roslyn. And we're Where from, from downwind downwind.com.au, the website for aviation enthusiasts. Come and join a community of passionate aviators who'd love to share about their experiences and the joy of being in the air. On Downwind, yeah. downwind. you can participate in forum discussions, view great photos and videos, and keep up to date with a weekly newsletter. So come and, and join the community at downwind.com.au.
2: Hi, this is Max Flight. This is Milford from Flight Time Radio. You can catch Grant and Steve each week on the Airplane Geeks podcast with their Australia Desk Report. Over on our podcast, Steve and Grant send in a bi-weekly update that covers flying in the Southern Hemisphere. Our listeners look forward to the Flying Down Under segment for the great interviews and a taste of aviation life from another point of view. www.airplanegeeks.com. If you get a chance, visit flighttimeradio.com to learn a little about our radio show and podcast. Well, I've interrupted the show long enough, so let me turn all you playing crazies back over to the guys and their usual outstanding content. Cheers from America. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The VoicesInYourHead.com
5: Hi, this is Leo Laporte of This Week in Tech, and whenever I'm down under, I go plain crazy with the Plain Crazy Down Under
3: podcast.
0: And welcome back, folks. Well, there you go, Grant. See, I told you I did go to school despite rumours to the
1: country. Yeah, I know. It's interesting to hear that school is still standing despite your best efforts. <laughs>
0: yes, Brentwood Secondary College or Brentwood High School, it was known back sometime last century when I went there. And, uh, boy, I tell you what, I wish they'd offered that program back when I was there. That'd be wonderful.
1: Oh, mate, I don't think I would ever would have left school. I would have kept finding new reasons to go for more... Uh you know, more licenses.
2: Uh, I reckon it's a great idea. Um, Get them young. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean,
0: uh, you know, a big shout out there to, to Chris Barry for having the courage to to put that up to the to the school council and, and get it through. I mean, that's uh, you know, talking to him after that interview. I mean, he's put a great deal of effort into uh, to getting that accepted uh, into the school and to, to have it up and you know to to get kids interested in it and to convince their parents to stump up the cash. I mean, that that all takes a lot of work, and uh, he's done a great job there. And uh, you know, once again, we, we we quite often talk about our friends down there, granted at Ozair Services, and uh, boy, they just they're really doing some great things there. I, I really, uh, it's really refreshing to see actually
1: oh, I definitely agreed it's it's great to see different groups getting out there and finding whole new ways to once again think outside the box and and find uh, ways to bring people into aviation and uh, as Dan said starting them young is a great way to get the kids on the right track and yeah, I'm
2: not sure if we've got anything like that over here but we've definitely got the young Eagles um, yeah and you've got that the uh, Royal New Zealand era Club and the Welsh I've mentioned before exactly. You've got that. And one, then there's also there's an annual air training corps um, flying school they have end of January in uh, yep. Woodburn um, yep. as well. That's a similar sort of deal.
1: Yeah. You know, all joking aside, it's not uncommon to hear stories of kids who have got on into flying for, at a young age, and where their mates are going off and you know hitting the booze or going off and partying their their butts off and getting into all sorts of chemical substances and going off off the track deep end, these kids are pretty much staying focused and on target because they know they want to fly and they know if they want to fly they've got to Keep a good record and uh, keep the brain working, and I think that's pretty cool.
0: Well, as you heard Chris say in that interview too, it's that they're actually seeing that it's uh, like you say, Grant, it's flowing on to other subjects, and they're seeing kids pick up their grades. You know, in areas where they were perhaps falling behind a little, they're uh, they're making that extra effort now because they can see something tangible. You know, Mm -hmm. that's something that's within reach for them, and that gives them a goal to aim for. If you want to get out there and do the flying program, well, you've got to do well in these other subjects, and uh, it's it's just such a positive thing. It was great to see.
1: No, definitely. I'm very happy to hear it, and uh, well done, Steve, for going out there and uh, getting that interview.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, fortunately, uh, they they were no longer hanging up the class of 1988 uh, photograph in the uh, in the foyer, so that was that was a great relief, actually.
1: <laughs> if it's anything so like uh, when I went to high school, it's probably been banned. <laughs>
0: Chris wanted to uh, pass on too that if anybody is interested in the program, he's taking a lot of calls from uh, around the state and probably actually from interstate as well. He's been getting a fair bit of media coverage. Uh, he left his email address there, but uh, as always, you can uh, contact us here at the show and we'll certainly pass your details on if you're interested in finding out about it. Uh, you can also contact our friends down at uh, Aus Air Services. You can check them out at ausairservices.com.au.
1: Definitely. Well worth doing.
0: I've actually heard about a high school over in Perth that's uh, quite well known for its aviation program. I remember speaking to somebody over there when I was at Red Bull last year and uh, it reminds me now that I meant to uh, follow that up and I never did. So uh, shame on me. I should uh, certainly find out about that.
1: Well, look, the more schools you've got doing that, plus uh, like the guys out at TVSA uh, where they've been uh, doing a lot of work with the vet fee help where like they are in New Zealand, the government pays, uh, pays for you to learn to fly and You just pay it off once you uh, earn sufficient money. I think uh, all these kind of schemes are absolutely brilliant. The more we can do to get more people learning to fly interested in aviation and building that world, as we were discussing before, leads to more downstream employment, be it from somebody working at a tuck shop through to a new uh, engineer and uh, people selling aircraft, equipment, pilot shops. There's just so much that goes on related to aviation that people don't realize.
0: Yep. And, uh, you know, one of the other cool things is that uh, I've, I've spoken to Chris and uh, and a few of the students there about uh, just keeping us up to date about how they're going. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the the kids these days are uh, well adept at uh, recording uh, and making MP3 files. So, uh, you know, f- we've noticed that we've actually picked up uh, quite a few of them and are now following us on our Facebook page. So, guys, welcome. Oh, Awesome. Yeah, and uh, we'll we'll certainly uh, do our best to, uh, you know, uh, keep you guys in the spotlight here and, uh, yeah, certainly, um, you know, make those audio diaries and we might get down there and take a few photos as well and uh, put those on the website. So uh, good luck, guys. Keep it up. Well done. Cool. Yeah. Well, Dan, yeah. actually, you mentioned the the Young Eagles. Um, now, is that a nationwide program over there or did you? is that just, uh, you know, it's some of the local aer- aerodromes over there?
2: Aeroclubs that are aligned with the Royal New Zealand Aeroclub, which is pretty yep. much most of them, um, and there's a, there's a scheme available there and um, yeah I think it's been running for maybe 10 years now yeah maybe a
1: bit longer it's the same over here it seems to be associated with the Royal Aero Clubs uh, yeah uh, well basically
2: the um, Royal New Zealand Aero Club is a sort of overseeing body um, of the Aero Clubs in New Zealand okay
0: okay well that just about just about wraps up the program for this week Uh, hang on a minute (laughs) as usual the late night postman here he comes it's the midnight postman and chased off down the street by the new collection of cats that are now inhabiting my street. Did I even mention my hatred for cats? That's probably another <laughs> that's probably a subject for another day.
1: I think that's for another whole pod- podcast the way you go in there, Sounds mate. Like- that's
2: more of an angry manatee, wasn't it? No. <laughs>
1: okay. yeah. yeah,
0: there you go. Okay, we got a uh, just a quick email this week from uh, Chris Fenelon, one of our listeners who's written in to us before. Chris, uh, thanks for writing in, and he sent us a link. Uh, Hi, Stephen Grant. Thought you might get a laugh out of this. There's a huge country artist from Austin, Texas, named Dale Watson who was in the country last April, and uh, guess what, guys? He got the Tiger Airways experience, <laughs> 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 and he wasn't happy, actually. Um, in fact, he... Uh- we write a bit of a song about there it. There
3: goes Tiger
1: Airways. There we don't care ways. Gotta complain? Well stand in line. You got a problem? That's your problem. They don't wanna solve it. They'll ignore you until you just run out of time.
0: Oh, that sounds so familiar.
1: My God, they're singing your song, Steve. I tell
0: you what, I tell you what, listeners, you are very lucky I can't sing. But, uh, you know, he actually actually ended up getting his compensation. So, uh, you know, if anybody, uh, you know, would like to give me singing lessons, I'm thinking, uh, you know, Tiger Airways? it's um what was it november 2008 i'm still waiting mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. you've had enough time to learn to sing man come on that should be you putting that song out <laughs> so that is absolutely
0: hilarious now i've actually put this clip from dale watson up on our facebook page but uh grant will stick a link in the show notes as well and uh thanks very much chris that was absolutely hilarious and we put it up there uh yeah this uh, this gentleman came out here for a tour and uh he had to pay uh, like five hundred dollars in excess baggage to cut his cd collection around and uh <laughs> in the meantime they managed to lose it for him and uh you know gave them the usual tiger Airways customer service line. That's, you know, a, a modern airline with a, uh, you know, a complaints department that's open about three hours a week. So there you go.
2: Well, you know what they say, time to spare, go by air.
1: <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's, v- yeah. that's uh, you know, G-A-V-F-R, you know. It's, it's, not, yeah. it's not supposed to be like that when you fly that's with the majors, with the jets. More
2: time yet, take a jet.
0: <laughs> so there goes Tiger Airways. They don't care ways. Well, <laughs> boy, oh boy. And considering Tiger's just got back in the air this week, I'll tell you what, uh, Grand Effect, we noticed this week in the news that uh, their uh, boss, Tony Davis, has stepped down, which is something I predicted in the OzDesk, if I recall.
1: Yes, you did. You did. You did come out and say, well, Tony Davis is coming down to Australia, and that's the first step on the way out the door. <laughs> and I don't know if he decided to leave because that was it, Game Over Red Rover, or if he just was showing the door, but you're right. Uh, Uh, It's claimed two major scalps. First to go with the Tiger incident was Crawford Ricks, who came in on 24th of March, 2010, uh, around that time. And then he uh, had to leave when uh, they were grounded. And Tony was sent down from the head office in Singapore as a Singapore Airlines executive came in to start running things there. And uh, once he got everything turned around and back in the air, yeah, it was time for him to go as well. At least he got it in the air, mate. At least he got it back. It is flying again. Admittedly, they're only able to do 18 sectors a day at the moment. So that's like nine uh, nine return flights. Uh, But I believe this month, September, is when they're going to start expanding under Cass's watchful eye.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, the, the people I feel sorry for out of this whole saga is the staff. I mean, you know, it's, it's not their fault that the airline is run this way. At least by and large, I mean, you know, you could look at some of the management types. when you look at the, you know, the ground crews and uh, people working yep. at the airports and, and their pilots, of course, well, you know, this is this is not a good thing. So I, I really hope. and I've said this a lot lately. I mean, we don't want to see these people out of work, uh, particularly in these tough economic times. So uh, let's hope that Tiger Airways has a bit of a cultural shift now. Perhaps gets himself in a yep. uh, a new CEO, and uh, you know, and really takes a bit of a uh, different approach to the way they've been doing things in the past. Well, they're going to have to or they won't be flying at all.
1: No, I agreed. And uh, knowing a few Tiger Airways pilots, both first officers and captains that I've met, had hung out with and had chats and, you know, they're good pilots. They know what they're doing. It's just the problem was that no one in Tiger uh, head office was able to show exactly who had done what training and where they were and all these kind of things. And so, yeah, it wasn't that the pilots are second rate or anything crazy like that. And uh, so it's great to have them back in the air and it's good that everyone's actually uh, earning again. And uh, also keeping everyone honest down at that end of the market market you'll notice that airfares have dropped once again
0: okay well let's move on to shout outs uh, guys Um, the first person i want to give a big shout out to is our friend uh, charlie Wilworth from uh, flight time radio Charlie has uh, taken a turn of bad health. Grand in fact, uh, I think they've announced it there on Flight Time Radio that uh, Charlie's been diagnosed uh, with leukaemia and is uh, currently undergoing uh, chemotherapy.
1: That is correct. He's in the Mayo Clinic at the moment, and they're pumping him full of all sorts of super dude serum uh, as we're chatting with him about. Uh, they are basically putting a lot of uh, chemicals into him to help combat the cancer. It's uh, a pretty full-on form of leukaemia he's got, so good on you, Charlie. Good luck, and uh, I think... we speak for everyone in our audience and, wishing you to get well and get back into the uh, podcasting and radio show. So uh, you've got to finish off that uh, Piper Cub and have it ready to uh, fly to Oshkosh next year.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Just uh, look after yourself there, Charlie. We're really thinking of you, mate. And uh, I guess on behalf of all of our audience here, if you don't listen to Flight Time Radio, head over there to flighttimeradio.com and have a listen. It's it's a great show, even in the episodes that we're not in. (laughs)
1: Indeed, they're probably the better ones. (laughs) Yeah,
0: they probably are. (laughs) Okay, the next person uh, on my list here to shout out to is uh, our friend Ziola T-Mix over there there at uh, she's normally at the mile high flyers podcast but uh, grant she's uh, about to kick off her own podcast called the box really? office and it's a podcast that's uh, going to be capturing a lot of uh, stories from uh, women pilots from uh well, I'm not sure whether she's just going to confine it to the United States, but uh, you know, I guess that'll be where she's starting from. Uh, as we record this, uh, Ziola is in the uh, final stages of uh, getting that first podcast organised and uh, getting her RSS feeds all sorted out and getting it into iTunes. That stuff, you know, is a little complex at times. But uh, big shout out to Ziola. I mean, uh, you know, Grant, uh, as we know, if you uh, we've been following her feeds uh, for a while and we interact with her quite often, and uh, she's done it quite hard uh, in the last couple of years. Uh, I think oh, employment's yeah. been scarce for her. She's a single mum. Uh, she's studying for. A, a I think it's an engineering degree at the moment. So uh, it's a mighty effort. And to undertake uh, production of your own solo podcast, well, let's, uh, you know, as I'm sure she's discovering very quickly, uh, it takes a lot of work. So uh, just a big shout out to Ziola. You can find that at uh, the box office, that's with two X's, dot blogspot com. So uh, get over there. And you can also follow it at the box office on Facebook and on Twitter. So take a look and keep an eye out for that first podcast.
1: Good on you, Ziola. And uh, yeah. I think this proves that she is totally crazy enough to join the rest of us podcasters. Who do that? Uh, We've got another another bit of a shout-out here, and uh, that's the – Jack, Jeb, and Dave from the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace podcast, the UCAP. Mate, they're coming up on their five year anniversary on August 23rd. We thought we were doing pretty well to get to two years. I believe the geeks have crossed three, and uh, here's UCAP going for five.
0: Well, I actually describe it as the granddaddy of aviation podcasts, which I've since found out is wrong. I think actually the pilot cast. uh,
1: That is correct. The pilot cast was one of the first, yeah.
0: But uh, Jack, Jeb, and Dave, as I've mentioned uh, many times in the past, uh, it's it's a wonderful podcast, uh, a general aviation podcast podcast uh, primarily based uh, covering issues in the United States and uh, that's at uncontrolled airspace.com for those uh, few of you who may not have visited their podcast but uh, five years I mean that's an amazing effort so uh, well done guys congratulations
1: yep I mean that's a pretty pretty good length of time to be running a beer podcast about avi- no sorry an aviation
2: <laughs> podcast that talks about beer yeah <laughs> yeah I know yeah, that's sorry guys a while since I've listened but I'll uh, catch up and uh, well worth it yeah, yeah, well yeah worth absolutely <laughs>
1: they're, they're definitely they're, they're in my Top group. Uh, there's a few podcasts that as soon as they come out, I rejuggle my uh, my collection and my list and bring them up to the top, and they're right in there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Grant, uh, that's one of the older podcasts going around, but there's a new one coming out of Canada called Cleared On Route. Cool. It's the uh, Cleared On Route podcast, and uh, that's uh, with uh, hosts uh, Danny Vacker and uh, Chris Johnson. Uh, I've heard listened to the first episode there, and uh, you know, they're uh, concentrating obviously on uh, Canadian aviation issues, but uh, those guys are also interested in uh, space travel and. Uh, they actually uh, cool. did quite a lot of discussion about that, some interesting uh, facts and figures on the International Space Station in their first podcast. So that's uh, clearedonroute.com and uh, clearedonroute uh, on Twitter. So follow those guys. Give their podcast a listen. It's uh, it's always a big undertaking to uh, start up a new podcast. Uh, you know, people discover very quickly, as we mentioned with Zyla, that uh, it actually does take a lot of work to get a quality show out there. But uh, these guys are, you know, are really uh, hitting their straps <laughs> right from episode one. It's a great show. So well, well done, guys.
2: Cool. There's two new podcasts I need to listen to now. Jeez. Yes. You need to, mate, you need to do more hour building flights
1: than those DA42s. Just turn up the do? podcast and tune out the student.
2: Maybe back to 55% power these days. Give <laughs> <laughs> me more time. Yeah. That's the one. We're going, we're going for lean, baby. Lean. Exactly. Yeah. I want to see 15 degrees angle of attack.
1: <laughs> yeah, keep it. Going. I want to hear that stall stall warning. Humming. Yeah,
2: Buffett is good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Uh, one more shout-out is to Jamie Dodson over there in the United States. That's uh, Jamie Dodson, the author. Now, uh, Jamie quite often writes into the Airplane Geeks and le- leaves uh, feedback uh, with their show. But uh, fortunately for us, Grant, he's uh, been listening to uh, Playing Crazy Down Under as well. And, uh, well, Jamie Dodson is an author. He's been writing uh, quite a number of uh, really interesting uh, adventure novels uh, based around the uh, the 1930s and dealing with uh, the flying boat service across the Pacific. And uh, those are called the Nick Grant Adventures. You can find that at nickgrantadventures.com. And uh, lucky for us, mate, he actually uh, sent us over a few complimentary copies to have a read of. Uh, That's
1: yeah, right. Good reading. Yeah, well, I'm just about to get stuck into them. Uh, he tells us that they're for pretty much teen readers and above, and uh, which uh, sounds great for me. That's pretty much right where I'm reading, right at the <laughs> teens. Uh, so once I do the reading of those ones, I'll be getting them off to Nikolai as well, because I think it's great for him to get stuck into them too.
0: So Nikolai and Grant reading Nick Grant Adventures, eh? Gee. Yeah, who knew that would happen, huh? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, absolutely. Well, uh, tell you what, I think that just about wraps everything up for this episode. Oh, mate, uh,
1: Dan, have you got anything else to say before you pass out over there in the land of the long white? Oh my God, it's one o'clock in the morning.
0: No,
2: I haven't got
0: much, Dan. Uh, before we do sign so off, however, uh, we can follow you on Twitter for uh, all sorts of musings about, uh, you know, no agenda and um, well, coffee. Where would uh, we find coffee, you on Twitter?
2: Coffee, aeroplanes, you know it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, where do we find you on Twitter, mate? I am the Grand Vizier. Uh, more recently on Google Plus. Yes, you and everybody and- else. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. It's, it's a good place to hang out. It's good. I'm liking I'm Google Plus and um, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Well, mate, it was uh, great to catch up with you again. And, uh, you know, I apologize for it being so long in between, but uh, what with the earthquakes and everything, we thought we'd better leave you alone <laughs> while well, uh, the country was getting itself sorted out. But uh, it's been a great episode catching up on Kiwi News. And as I mentioned before, we're always looking for more Kiwi News stories. This show is uh, intended to be not only about Australian aviation issues, but uh, all around the Australia Pacific region. And uh, most notably, of course, that includes New Zealand. And uh, as I said before, uh, you know, we want to send Dan out and get him working for us so uh, certainly send over some story ideas if you've got them and uh, we'll send them across to Dan that's at uh, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com well thanks very much for listening folks we certainly hope you enjoyed it we'll be back with another episode of Playing Crazy Down Under real soon but uh, I'll tell you what if you're out flying just remember this it's what's down
2: under that counts folks you've been listening to Playing Crazy Down Under hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel
5: and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website www.plaincrazydownunder.com, or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plaincrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It
2: Five by Brian Simpson. Production and editing by Steve Vischer. This has been a Southern Skies online media podcast.
0: So, so Dan, this this um, this this new facility you're talking about, is that going to be a, a secondary facility as an alternate or is it a, just a completely new facility that's going to take over everything if they build it? Granny, are you still there?
2: I've got to make the Avalon show before that, though.
1: Oh, yeah, get over here. That's yeah. a piece of cake. Avalon's yeah. funny.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, so proper put a tent up in your backyard. Yeah, for sure, man. <laughs>
0: well, we're, we're He's got a very next, small backyard, hey, I might tell you.
1: Well, we're, th-
2: <laughs> we're thinking that for next Avalon, we're
1: going to try and get an RV down there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah do it right. Yeah. We'll hot Pockets Tour of uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, 2012. Hot,
0: hot, hot Pockets 2009. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I had another... Oh, it's another. Ball breaking question I was gonna ask you, then I've forgotten it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Blooper. <laughs> oh well Grant. Grant, you ask him one while I think of it. <laughs> you were just about to smash me a big one. Mate, I was uh, I was brilliant. Maybe I was
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm sorry, you just around me. Come on, uh, Grant. Pu- Grant, pull me from the fire quick. <laughs>
2: Hey, hey, tell me something. Uh my my missus is in Melbourne at the moment. Um uh, you got any good restaurants you recommend? Oh,
0: there's McDonald's in Cranbourne.
1: Um <laughs> I'm going to hit you, Visha. <laughs> I didn't have to pay for it either. Yeah. Oh, it My god. <laughs> you make me sick. We're still talking about the food, are we? <laughs> uh yes to all of the above.
0: In the words of Jack Hodgson. In Maybe. the words in the words of Jack Hodgson, Aviation Podcast.
1: <laughs> hey, this is net after night. You walked away. Uh um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I used, like I said, I used to DJ at some very interesting parties. Now hey tell guys, us. Oh, just just before we go on, I'm hear, Been hearing lots of thumping. Steve, are you manoeuvring your microphone stand or anything?
3: No,
0: it's not me. No.
3: Okay. Can you hearing. hear me? It could be me holding the computer for noise here. Uh,
0: I that that could be it. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. D- yeah. D- don't don't fidget, Mark. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Hold that. Well, uh, well, I was actually just I was dancing. Oh, so, <laughs> uh,
0: well, you're a very talented man. And then there's oh, Mezz's yeah? Pizza out here at Cranbourne. Best pizzas in the world.
1: Oh, yeah. If
0: world would... famous in Cranbourne. That's exactly right. Down here in the Paris end of Cranbourne. Hang on a sec. Oh. I'll be right
2: about Paris end. Excuse me while I go hurl. Yeah, Paris is renowned for its sewers. I'll head you.
0: <laughs> Fine. Shatter my illusions.
1: <laughs> uh, just what we've just gone through should keep her quite occupied until she goes home.
0: She's occupied. I'm starving to death. Thanks a lot.
1: Here. <laughs> Have a piece of celery. Good. Okay. So Here, have a, have a photo of a roast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You'll pay for this, McHeron. I'm recording everything.
2: Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's actually we'll, a good segue there. We all like a good moon as well. <laughs>
1: Sorry, say, say again?
2: We all like a good moon now, then.
1: Oh, hell yeah. We're pilots. <laughs> yes, we love a good moon.
0: That's absolutely yeah. right. Luckily, they're not train drivers and pilots. Oh, hang on. Anyway. Oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, because we have no real... Opposition, but that's a different story and probably a different podcast. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Would
0: would you like Julia Gillard? Uh, I'm happy to send her over.
1: Yeah, Steve can make something out of that. That's the benefit of post production. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, that's right. Just you just love editing. Yeah, oh, that's what's all I do, mate. That's all I do. People <laughs> no say, "What worry. did you do at Oshkosh?" I said, "Same thing I did in Australia: edit." <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, you know what's you know what's really annoying me? He actually got out and he got to see some of the show. I mean, obviously, I didn't have those chains strong enough. I tell
3: you. <laughs> well, he must have done some fancy editing, though. Yeah, I did that been
0: really quick, was it? Yeah, it yeah. was on the, on the on the fly. Pardon the pun. Okay, we're live. Okay. Now turn YouTube off, Grant. I already have. No, really.
1: Oh, my gosh. she did. No, sorry.
0: <laughs> That's rude, Tube. Okay. You th- would have three listeners in that case. You, me, and Grant.
2: <laughs> oh, I don't know if I'd listen. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, it's tomorrow here already. Hurry up. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Grant. Are you ready?
3: Yes. I keep telling you I'm
2: ready.